So if your Bible's with you, uh, please open the book of Joshua, chapter 1. First of all, I want to thank uh, Pastor Caleb for this opportunity to stand before you tonight. I know that he doesn't open up his pulpit to anyone, and by asking me to do this, you would think that he fell on his head, but here we are. I also want to thank um, Brother Hunt for um, teaching, Sunday, teaching the um, Sunday school this morning for the teens. It gave me more time to prepare for tonight. And thank you, Pastor Gus, for your kind words. I appreciate that. So tomorrow, we'll, this evening, we'll be in the book of Joshua, chapter 1. We'll be starting off in verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and this people, unto the Lord, which, into, the, into the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I have said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, and of the great, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee in all the days of, the, all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance of the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So we start off this passage, Moses is dead. The man of God, the man of God is gone off the scene. Now thankfully our pastor hasn't made that final farewell, and he's still with us today. Now, only by the grace of God. But back to Moses. Moses had one job to do. He was to take, lead the people out of Egypt, Go through the wilderness and take him into the promised land. Now, while he did have some successes, but he also had some failures, as the Bible says. You know, he led the people out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness. You guys see what I'm doing here? <laughs> it took a lot longer than it was supposed to. But he didn't lead them through to the promised land. And why was that? Well, he did, or, all right, so why was that? Because he didn't do what God asked him to do. He led the people out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness, but he wasn't able to make it to the promised land. Now, it wasn't God's fault that he wasn't make it there, able to lead them through. It wasn't society's fault. It was his fault. He was the only person to blame. If only he had heeded God's word, then he would have been successful in that endeavor. You know, just like us, you know, we don't always listen to the word of God. You know, we do what we want to sometimes. And then when we experience failures in our life, who do we tend to blame? Not ourselves. Now, if something happens at home, I'm first, I'm quick to blame my wife. So I'm like, I'm not going to blame myself, obviously. <laughs> but if we want to be successful, we need to heed the word of God. Now, who doesn't want to be successful in here? Show of hands. No one? Now, if I had to give you a nickel for everyone who wanted to be successful, then you'd be pretty rich, wouldn't you? And I'd have to be even richer than that to give you that much money. But you would say that I'm successful. Now, Merriam-Webster defines success as the attainment of wealth, favor, or M&Ms, or eminence, as it says, not M&Ms. 
<laughs> no. Maybe your idea of success is eating a bunch of M&Ms, and I think Pastor Caleb has a huge stash of them somewhere. No. I can't imagine seeing people just like go through swathes or go through the rest of your life, you know, through chocolatey handfuls of goodness. But according to the Success Project survey released by Stare University in 2014, 90% of people believe that success is more about happiness than power, possessions, or prestige. Only one in five Americans thought, it, thought that monetary wealth is what defines success. Success was most defined as 60% loving what you do, 67% saying attaining a personal goal, and then 66 saying that to having good relationships. Now, Einstein, or uh, I heard it said that a successful man is someone who can make more money than his wife can spend. And a successful woman, on the other hand, is a woman who can find that man. <laughs> Einstein, you guys know Einstein, right? Well, he, someone asked him, what is your um, formula for success? So this is complicated, so bear with me. He said, if A is success, then A equals X, Y, Z. X is you work. Y, you enjoy yourself. And Z, you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> now, pretty wise words from a pretty smart man. So here we have the Israelites who are wandering through the wilderness while waiting for the whiners to waste away. Now it's time for those who were left to enter into the God's promised land. Everyone except Moses, due to his disobedience to God's word. Moses and the brother Aaron were promised by God that he wasn't, that he wasn't going to allow them to lead the Israelites through the promised land because they did not sanctify him before Israel. Now, sanctification means setting something apart, making it holy. You know, God spoke creation into existence. You know, Jesus, or Jesus um, spoke to the winds and waves, and they obeyed him. And this power that God had speaking things into existence, he was going to allow Moses and Aaron to use that power to speak to the rock and allow water to gush from it. But that's not what happened. So this is one of those times that meek, mild-mannered Moses let, the anger, let his anger get the best of him. Just like that time in Egypt when he killed the one um, Egyptian. So God was angry with his disobedience, and it cost him. Now, he, broke, he struck the rock that was supposed to represent Christ. Now, the first time God told him to strike the, rock, strike, strike the rock, it was supposed to represent the sacrifice Christ would make when his body was broken for us. But the second time, when he struck the rock, it showed that Christ had to, sac- had to suffer again. And Christ only had to suffer once for us, to save us from our sins. So God had an example that he was trying to portray. By speaking to the rock, it showed that we could just speak to Christ, you know, pray to him, and that living water that he talks about giving to people, we could receive that. But because of Moses' anger, he broke that as an illustration. So Moses kicked the bucket, Joshua picked up the slag. The Israelites, they crossed the Jordan, and they went on the attack. Joshua was charged by God to be strong and of good courage, for he would be leading the children of Israel to the promised land. He would help them lay waste to their enemies there, and then he was going to lay out their inheritance. Now, if, we're going to be successful in this ende- if he was going to be successful in this endeavor, there were some things that he was going to have to, need- going to, have to do. Now, our text verse tonight here, verse 8, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, shows us that God wanted Joshua to be successful. That's why he gave him a set of instructions. I mean, you want someone to be successful in something, you give them a set of instructions. Like, have many of you ever put uh, Ikea furniture together? <laughs> you know, you buy a little and it comes with some instructions. Now, you might not be able to read them, but they're there. 
And we just recently got a new uh, dining, uh, yeah, dining room set. And one of the chairs, the first chair I opened, didn't have instructions. And it came with a lot more screws than a chair should have. <laughs> so thankfully, we had five more chairs, and they all came with instructions. So I wasn't at a complete loss. Now, God also gives us instructions to live our life. We find them right here in the Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. So let's see what instructions God gave Joshua and how he could be successful and how we can follow those instructions to see success in our life. Not just success, but good success. So in verse 8 it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So tonight's message is titled, The Keys of Success. The Keys of Success. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we ask that you would be with us tonight, Lord, that you would help me to get out of the way, Lord, and just let your spirit flow through me, Lord, and speak the words that you would have me speak. Lord, right now our mind is on Pastor Caleb, Lord, and the pain that he's going through, Lord, but we're thankful, Lord, and grateful that it wasn't much more than that, Lord, and that he is on the road to recovery right now. Lord, we just ask that you minimize distractions, Lord, and be with us tonight, Lord, and just allow us to learn something from your word, Lord, that we can change in our lives so that we can be the successful Christians that you would want us to be. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So, help with this illustration, I borrowed something from my son. Set of keys. So the first key we have tonight is the call to speak. This book of the law should not depart out of thy mouth. So we experience, the Lord through, we experience the world through our five senses. We have the sense of sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. But the most thing that affects our heart are senses from our eyes and our ears. You know, it's the shows that we watch and the movies we watch, the music that we listen to that affect us. You know, back before the pandemic, there was a lady in my office, and she told me that one of her, her daughter was in um, daycare, and that the language that they were using in the daycare, well, her daughter would bring that back home, and it didn't please her. Now, that's because she was being influenced by those around her at the daycare. So what about the things we read? Books, magazines, articles on the internet? These things also have an influence on us. If you're ever looking for something good to read, something right here. So also the people that we hang out with. You know, we spend time with people, and they influence us. You know, you have to ask yourself, you know, are they having a positive influence, influence on you or a negative influence? But also, what kind of influence are you having on them? Now, influence is a two-way street. Now, are you going to be a good influence to those around you? If you are, then you need to make sure that you are influencing them with the word of God. My fifth-grade English teacher always says, sharing is caring except for germs. Germs you can keep to yourself. <laughs> so Matthew 12, 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, tells us that we're to be an example to the believers in word and conversation, in charity and spirit, in faith and in purity. Now, if we're going to be a good example to those around us, then our words and actions must be of God. Our testimony must be one that points to the one we believe in and live lives in service to God. Now, how else are we supposed to let our light be a shining example and draw other men to Christ? Now, someone who watches a lot of sports is going to talk a lot about sports. If someone who does a lot of fishing, they're going to talk a lot about fishing. I watch a lot of politics, so I can talk a lot about politics. And depending on who you're talking to, you want to curb that language these days. 
But what about someone who's reading, studying their Bible? Now, what are they going to be apt to talk about? And the prophet Jeremiah had that problem. He was preaching God, promising, prophesying to the Israelites, but they wouldn't give him the time of day. And he acted like a petulant child. And he said, well, I ain't going to talk about God. I ain't going to speak his name anymore. You know, we're the same way when we don't get our way, petulant children. But it didn't matter what Jeremiah said, because what mattered where his heart was at. And it said that he had, because he had God's word in his heart, his heart was on fire for God, and he got burned bad. He had to let it out. Now, what's preventing God's word from burning your heart and burning to share it with other people? And second, we have the call to sink. Now, don't just read the Bible. Let it sink in. Meditate on it. Over and over again. Turn it around. Say, oh, I never noticed that before. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but when you cast a line, you don't quickly reel it out, do you? You're not going to catch anything like that. You cast it, you let the lure sink to the appropriate depth if you're going to catch anything worthwhile. Or how about when you eat an apple? If you just let it graze your teeth, you're not going to get nothing. No nutrients, no juice. But if you take a big old bite of that apple, let your teeth sink into it, you're going to be able to enjoy much more out of the apple. Now, Tim Feeney sent me an article last week saying that um, apples can give you more energy than coffee, which makes no sense because apples don't have caffeine. Now, there are people out there that believe that apples do have caffeine because there's enough articles written that says apples do not have caffeine. But it's because the amount of sugar that's in an apple is more than you would typically find in a cup of coffee. So to equal that amount, you'd have to put in about five or six, cup, five or six packets of sugar, which is a lot of sugar. Now, when I was in um, youth group, we would have um, hot chocolate during our Sunday schools. And we would, me and my friends would take like 24 packs of sugar and put in the hot chocolate and drink it. Think of that today. I'm like, how do we live? How do we survive? <laughs> now, so that's your um, health tip from the pulpit tonight. <laughs> so I think what people will be sticking to coffee until someone comes up with a caffeinated apple. So in the same way, you know, just don't read your Bible and say, well, I'm done for the day. That's like having a conversation with someone, staring at them, and saying bye. And you can't build a relationship like that. Now, you have to get in deep. You have to look up the meaning of words, see what they mean. You know, contemplate the who, what, where, why, and how of the situation. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you a spiritual nugget that you can share with others. You know, we all know that boats float. All the good boats do. But what happens when a boat fills with water? It begins to sink. And when we allow our lives to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the deeper we can get into God's Word. Now, we can read the same passage of Scripture over and over again. Now, each of us reading the same passage of Scripture, and we can all get different things out of it based on where we are in our lives. Now, are you letting God show you something, or are you just, letting, or are you just trying to check off the done button when you're doing your devotions? Not only do we need to meditate on God's Word, but we need to be in there consistently. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Day and night. We need to continually ponder what we read so we don't forget what we read. Now, how do you forget the message of tonight, the title of tonight's message already? Because you weren't pondering it. Now, as part of my devotions, I've been reading through the Gospels, and right now I'm reading through them for the fourth time this year. And I've been pondering most recently the purpose of the Sabbath, as mentioned in uh, Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees considered Jesus and his disciples breaking the Sabbath because they were working while grabbing pieces of corn to eat because they were hungry. You know, they were doing what anyone would do if they were hungry. But I'm going to think of, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? 
Well, you don't have to look hard because it tells us exactly what the purpose of the Sabbath is and the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus chapter 20. It was a day of rest. It was a day of remembrance. It was a day to focus on God. Now, I'm a simple man, and I prefer simple concepts. Now, this is an idea of a part of an idea of a much larger devotion I've been thinking of the past few weeks about how God gives us all, and we only give him some back. So God gave us an entire week to work. He gave Israel like six days to work. But the seventh day, he wanted them to rest. So what was the purpose of that? Well, when you work, it benefits you physically. But one day a week, God wanted Israel not to physically benefit themselves, but to physically benefit him. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees that they didn't give priests flack because their physical work was always to benefit God. You know, one of the many mic drops Jesus said was, I, the son of the Lord, the son of God, the son of God is Lord of the Sabbath. So he said, the work I do, is going to benefit me no matter what. But this made me think about how much of my time is benefiting myself rather than being a benefit to God. And Luke, Jesus said that the very hairs of your head are numbered. And you know what? You lose about 50 to 100 hairs every day. That's a lot of hairs. And God knows. God's keeping track of every single one of them. So if he's thinking of you that much, you're on his mind that much, you would do well to think about him and his word throughout the day. Then thirdly, we have the key to see. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Now the word observe here doesn't mean to see, but it means to keep. God is telling Joshua not only to read the law, but to keep the law. He needs to meditate on the law so that he will keep doing what the law says. I like how Matthew Henry puts it in his um, commentary on this passage. He must observe to do according to all this law. To this end, he must meditate therein, not for contemplation's sake only, or to fill his head with notions, or that he might find something to puzzle the priest with, that he is, that he, but, but that he might, both as a man and as a magistrate, observe to do according to what is written therein. And several things were written there which had particular reference to the business he had now. As the laws concerning their wars, destroying the Canaanites, and dividing of Canaan, etc., these he must religiously observe. Joshua was a man of great power and authority, and yet he must put his command under another and do as he was bidden. No man's dignity or dominion, how great soever, set him above the law of God. Joshua must not only govern by law and take care that the people observe the law, but he must observe it himself, and so that by his own example he may maintain the honor and power of it. This might not be obvious, but if we're going to speak the word of God, we're going to have to see what it says. If we're going to sink into the word of God, we're going to have to see what it says. If we're going to do the word of God, we're going to have to see what it says. And if we're going to see what the word of God says, then we're actually going to have to read it. Imagine that. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16, says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for righteousness unto God. It tells us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and then how to stay right. So are you reading the word of God, and how right are you? Now, the fourth key is a call to step. This is the need to act. Having instructions isn't enough. You stare at them, they're not going to put the chair together for you. You actually have to put the chair together yourself. The verse here doesn't say, for thy way shall be prosperous. No. It says, for thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Work like it all depends on you, the saying says, but pray like it depends on God. 
Now, Josh, knew, Josh wanted to take steps in order to be prosperous. We look down in verse 10 through 11. It says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals. For, I, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Now, Joshua just didn't sit there. Then again, maybe he did. But as soon as the word of God came to him, he moved. He took action. Now, we don't know how much time it, it took, but he didn't, he didn't hesitate. He told the Israelites they were going to have three days to prepare, and then they were going. But first, he needed a plan. Now, if I were going to leave the pulpit tonight, I would have to have a plan. If I just started walking forward, I'm not going to go anywhere, am I? Now, last week in a Sunday school lesson, we learned that our brains actually plan out what we do before we do it. That's why we can decide whether to actually go through with an action or not. Our minds are amazing like that. But if I were to plan to leave the pulpit, I would say, all right, I have to turn, walk over here, and slowly take a step. I don't want to be in the hospital tonight. <laughs> so Joshua needed a plan. He planned, to leave, he planned to be in the promised land three days, no more, no less. And he told them to prepare. Then there was a call to success. God just didn't want to have Joshua to have success. The Bible says he wanted to have good success. That begs the question, well, what's the difference between success and good success? Now, George MacDonald was an old, old Scottish author, poet, and minister. His father was even older than him, and it just so happens that he had a farm. Now, make of that what you will. He said, and whatever a man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Let me say that again because it's kind of confusing the way it's worded. And whatever a man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. On the 10th of May, 1996, John Krakauer finally reached the summit of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. Several of his fellow climbers died on that day. Later he wrote, I understood on some dim, detached level that it was a spectacular sight. And I mean, he just made it the top of the world. How could it not be a spectacular sight? But now that I was finally there, standing on the summit of Mount Everest, I just couldn't summon the energy to care. That's what success looks like without God. If God is good, then good success is success with God. If God is good, we are not. Jesus said that there is none good but one, and that is God. We all want success, and there's nothing inherently wrong with desiring success. But what matters is how we go about that success, and if it's according to God's will. For success without God will lead us feeling empty like it did John Krakauer. Not only did God want Joshua to have success, but he wants us to have good success. Success has to do with us, but good success has to do with God. Now, good success... Through Moses, God was able to deliver his people from Egypt and Pharaoh. That is good success. Through Jesus, God was able to provide a way for man to be reconciled back to him. That is the example of good success. Now, there are many examples you can look at the pages of Scripture for examples of good success. Now, take Hebrews 11, the, fall, the hall of faith. It's a whole chapter about successful people who did what God wanted them to do. So here we have five phrases and five keys. And yet there's one more key we have to discuss. That is the call to select. Joshua didn't have a choice. No, he actually had a choice. We always have a choice. But when God uses the words like shall in our verse, 
as opposed to should, you ask yourself, did Joshua really have a choice? Thou shalt, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate. Thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. This wasn't a suggestion from God, but it was the expectation. Should implies that an event would take place in some condition or circumstance. Now, you could go to sleep, or you should go to sleep so you wake up in the morning at the right time. You should clean your room so it won't be messy. Now, there's always a room for choice. Shall implies a promise, a command, or a determination. Now, God promised Joshua that he would be successful, period. God commanded Joshua to be successful, period. God determined that Joshua would have good success, period. He didn't leave any room for choice. The Israelites had a chance to enter the promised land, but they whined about it, the difficulties that would be found there. They chose wrongly, and thus they did not successfully enter the promised land until much, much later. Moses had a chance to enter the promised land, but he sinned against God in front of Israel and did not sanctify him. And because of that choice, he did not successfully enter the promised land. What choices have you made in your life that led you to not having the success that God wanted you to? There was another man who had experienced success in his life during this time. Now, there's many examples of men in the Bible, but I want to focus on this man in particular as we close. This man was a contemporary of Joshua. His name was Caleb. Not our pastor, but different Caleb. <laughs> now, this was a man who stood next to Joshua, and other men would faint. Now, turn to the book of uh, Joshua, chapter 14, verse 6. So Caleb was the head of the tribe of Judah. Sent into the promised land with Joshua and ten other spineless spies, he went out there to get a glimpse of the land that God was going to promise them. Not only that, but he got a taste of it. And that taste never left his mouth. And Joshua chapter 14, verse 6, says, Then the children of the Judah came into Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the, Ken- the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barda. Forty years ago, when I was with Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barna to spy out the land and brought him word again as it was mine and in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord, my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be in thine inheritance, shall be thine inheritance, and thy children forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. So he specifically was promised by or he specifically was promised by God via Moses that he would possess the land that he tread upon. Why? Because he wholly followed the Lord, his God. When the hearts of the Israelite melted due to the report of the land, report that the land God promised to them wasn't fighting for, his heart stood firm because he was made his heart stood firm because he made the word of God his foundation. The name Caleb comes from a compound word. It means whole heart. Now, Caleb was wholehearted and single-minded, and even a little bit fanatical. Just a healthy amount, though. The idea of a, that of being a dog, not negative connotation, but the faithfulness, the boldness, and the bravery of a dog. Caleb wholeheartedly followed God. He said that he did. 
Moses vouched for him, but more importantly, God confirmed him. That's a testimony of three witnesses right there. Therefore, he must have put these keys into action to experience the success that he had. Now we come to my favorite part in the next verses, chapter, verses 10 and 11. And I behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered into the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He was 85 years old. Imagine that. And as yet I am strong this, as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now, for war, for both to go out and to come in. Doesn't that just give you chills when I read it? Every time I read it, it gives me chills. You know, talk about a dream deferred. 45 years ago, Caleb was raring to go in the promised land. He stilled the people before Moses. He was like, hey, 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 everyone, listen up, listen up. Let us go up at it once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But there had to be punishment before the promised land could be procured, and Caleb wasn't going to pout about it. He spent and said he was going to get himself ready. 40 years is a long time, and in 40 years, a lot of us going to have, we're going to be, we're going to be a lot different than we are today. But Caleb said his strength was the same as it was back then. That means that he had to prepare himself for success. You know, 85 years old, he said he was as strong as the day that he was. He's as strong today as he was that day, 45, 45 years ago. And that's kind of hard to believe, 85-year-old claiming that. Now, there's a gentleman by the name of George Campbell. He's originally from Jamaica, but he eventually made his way over to the States and became, and while he wasn't a stranger to the gym, he became serious about working out at the age of 37. And he started to compete. And he won some awards. And his strength dropped about 10%, but he was still working out four days of the week. Now, there's an example of someone, you know, being 85 and still having the strength of a younger man. Take another example, 85-year-old Arthur Peacock. You, might, you may know him from the legendary Gold's Gem in Venice Beach, um, California, who trained with the Terminator himself, Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, while his training buddies have retired, he continued his passion for bodybuilding. Now, hearing stories like this makes this story a bit more believable. And then um, verses 12 and 13. Now, therefore, give to me this mountain, wherefore the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day that the, the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed them and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Now, not only did Joshua have the strength to fight, to go to war, but he determined to win. He determined to enjoy the land that was promised to him. Now, God wants us to be successful. Or, Caleb said, the Lord will be with me. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to fight. And I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. God wants us to be successful. And not just how we define success, but how he defines it. You can have all the type of successes in the world, in the way the world defines success. But what's the purpose of it? Or you can study God's word, meditate on it, share biblical truth, live by it, and prepare yourself for the success that God has planned for your life. Now, God has given the keys, giving us the keys to success right here. The question is, are you going to pick them up? <laughs>